Hey everyone, it's Paul Ward here and welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes. I'm very excited today. We have a special guest, Tom McLean, a Ventura County comedian and the owner of GigglesLive.com. Tom, welcome to the show. Good morning, Paul. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I've never interviewed a comedian before, so I'm excited about that. So thank you for doing this. And um, you were in the the military, is that correct? You were in the Air Force? Yeah, that's right. In the 90s, I went in uh, during the uh, Desert Storm era, went into the Air Force and became an aircraft mechanic. Um, I did sheet metal and corrosion control, and I worked on in a shop in Hawaii at Hickam Air Force Base. So I was right there. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hickam Air Force Base, but it's actually connected to Pearl Harbor. So it's a joint uh, base. And so I had access to Pearl Harbor and uh, being somebody who's into history and all that, I got to go and visit Pearl Harbor where, you know, our country changed so many years ago. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. And how did you go from being a mechanic in the Air Force to now being a stand-up comedian? <laughs> well, that's an interesting journey. So from being a mechanic, I did uh, I, I did my four years of, of, you know, regular service, fulfilled my commitment, and then got out, did uh, some work on planes for a few years, about probably about six to eight years. I, I worked as a um, contractor. And so I would go, I lived in Seattle for a little while and I'd work on Boeing planes up there. Um, I was lucky enough to get a couple of contracts close to home at McClellan Air Force Base up there in Sacramento. And uh, and it just was something that was very difficult for me because I, I was, you know, I'm doing a job where I'm, you know, you're, you're, it's kind of a, the same thing over and over again. And mm -hmm. I'm somebody who kind of like has to feel like I'm creating in order to feel fulfilled. Right. And so um, I kind of got it, had a reputation for being more interested in my talk radio device that was attached to my toolbox than actual working. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but uh, well, so I just, always you were joking around that. with the fellow servicemen and your coworkers. Oh man, we had, yeah, we were, I helped organize some, some pretty classic pranks. I'm not, there's a few of them I can't mention on here, but right. uh, there was one guy that, uh, one guy that left, he was a big, strong, really like a nice guy, but very, but one of those guys that overreacts when he would get upset about things. And when he was, he left to go to another contract. And when he left, I faked an entire uh, poem, fake book of poems about Mama Bear and Papa Bear and put it into his locker so that when the bosses cleared out his locker, they're like, what? This guy writes this weird poetry. Oh and it was God. an ongoing bit that they never figured out that it was me the entire time. Oh but they would God. stand there and they'd read his poems to us at lunch. It was so great. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Uh, between that and then listing items, because we had a billboards and we would list um items for sale like used christmas trees and things like that and we'd put one of the other mechanics phone numbers on there like it was always something going on with the uh you know messing with people i had a supervisor um uh, his name was steve i won't say his last name but he had this weird thing where he had to be looking at his feet when he walked and so when he wanted to talk to me he would look at me from across the hangar line up look down line his feet and he'd watch his feet and he walked to me 
and I knew he was walking towards me. So I would go to the opposite side of the hangar, knowing that he was going to get to where he thought I was. Look oh up, man. Oh. Where is he? Oh my God. That, <laughs> yeah. is, that is that is crazy. I had so, another supervisor that was scared of heights, um, and he was terrified of heights. So I would always find some kind of a problem on the up on the wing, on the like on the you know the empionage, <laughs> the 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 back of the plane, right? And um, I would I would always bring him up in that little cherry picker thing and make sure that it was bouncing real good and things like that. And yeah. so um, <laughs> so it was always something. I, I would say there was at least a few um, daily pranks. That's hilarious. <clears throat> so you kind of had it in it in you from a from a, you know, a young age. You know, kind of your prankster uh, personality. And then how did that transition to, you know, being on the stage and telling jokes to strangers? Well, it was funny when my last contract ran out, and I was looking for my my next thing. I had an offer from Aerojet that that was a it's a um, aircraft aircraft maintenance you know company. I, everybody's probably heard of it, and they um, they offered me really good money to go work on airplanes again. But I also had two other offers. I had an offer from Verizon to go work as it was something that was really outside of my wheelhouse and didn't interest me, but it paid okay. And then I had an offer to work at this um, this homeless shelter for kids that didn't pay hardly anything at all. In fact, right. I think it might have been nine bucks an hour or something like oh that. God. Yeah. So yeah. I took that job, though, because I felt like that job was the one that was going to give me the most freedom to get into what I really wanted to do. You know, I wanted some time to do some writing. I wanted to be able to attend all my sporting events that I like to go to the you know, the hours weren't accommodating for that with, um, I was a basketball fan, NBA, Sacramento Kings, mm -hmm. season tickets, and the Aerojet job would have required me to work evenings, which means I'd miss all the basketball games. And I was like, right. I don't think that work. Right. You know, priorities. So I, so I took the job at the children's receiving home and I, you know, worked really hard there. And I did worked on some of my writing whenever I had some downtime. And then uh, it kind of got to where comedy, you know, actually started comedy while I was there and comedy and that kind of worked really well together. Um, and then there was a point where I was making more money at comedy than I was there. And I had kind of risen the ranks a little bit and was a supervisor at the receiving home. So it kind of got to where I needed to make a decision. And so I ended up leaving the receiving home just to do comedy. And uh, it was, you know, it's always a tough decision when you're, when you're betting on yourself like that, but I it worked out pretty good, at least for the time being, it did. <laughs> right, right. And so you're taking that leap of faith that you're going to go out and, you know, be a entrepreneur, essentially, right? Because you're <clears throat> getting paid to stand on stage now and tell jokes to strangers. Uh, what yeah. Was that, what was that like the first time? Well, the first time I actually went on stage, let's see. The first time I went on stage, I was nervous but like i just felt like i had to do it and so it wasn't i didn't let the the nerves get in the way i think the nerves got more like in the following weeks as i started trying to pursue it because then it was like started to matter i think right. the first time you're just kind of like well if it doesn't work then i'll know um but i got three really good laughs in my five minutes at an open mic which 
if you've ever been to an open mic, that's pretty miraculous to get three good laughs or to have somebody that gets three good laughs. Right. And the owner of the comedy club there in Sacramento, Steve, he, uh, he, he took note of me and he told me that he wanted to start working me into the rotation as a regular MC. And so like within my first few months of comedy, I had two weeks a month emceeing at that club. And then within a year or so, he purchased another club in San Francisco called the green room. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do two weeks a month in Sacramento and one week a month in San Francisco and then that other weekend or two, I would just travel. I would go do gigs up in Oregon or Washington or, you know, I don't, one of the neighboring states. I never went really too far away, especially sure. earlier. Or, sure. And your material was coming from your experiences that you had? I mean, obviously in the military and being a prankster. Yeah. Well, a lot of my material was just about having fun and partying. And that was, you know, part of my um evolution as a comedian so i started out and i joked a lot about partying and drinking and stuff like that and um and now i talk more about my kids and my relationship with them and things like that and things that people might think matter a little bit more i guess right. but um but you know you kind of grow up on the stage just like you grow up in real life so it was you know it's right. cool to go back and watch old videos and go wow that's where i was at right <laughs> It just your your life is a is a journey and your your material is you know changing along with it yeah the best part is when somebody comes up that hasn't seen me in a long time and they ask me to do one of those old jokes that doesn't really fit who i am now like right. i'm not gonna talk about drinking all night I, I mean last time i had a beer was like probably two years ago i don't even like i don't even casually drink anymore it's just not i don't not interested anymore right so it's kind of funny what what makes a good comedian why do some people make it, you know, and others, I guess, like any industry, some people make it big and some don't. But what, what do you think kind of captures the imagination of the audience that some, some, you know, do really well? I think what makes a good comedian is somebody who is able to really reveal who they are, who's able to actually kind of allow themselves to be vulnerable mm -hmm. in front of an audience to where the audience could feel connected because... The audience members, I think, in any any time an audience member is at a comedy show, they feel vulnerable. There's always like, oh, am I going to get picked on? Am I going to understand the jokes? Am I going to feel like I wasted my money by coming and watching a comedian tonight? So I think when the comedians are allow allow themselves to be a little bit vulnerable and they're able to like connect with the audience, I think that that's what makes a good comedian. Um, and as far as the Hollywood thing, I, I'm not sure how they decide. I think that that's pretty, uh, I'm not sure how those decisions are made as far as who gets elevated and all of those kind of things. Right. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting in my room on a... <laughs> <laughs> You'd be down there right now. <laughs> well, I, it was, the truth is, when I, so I was traveling a lot when, because we moved down to Southern California and so working, you know, three weeks in Northern California was no longer an option for me. So I moved away from where most of my work was. And being that, you know, it's a showcase town where people are trying to get famous. There's not a lot of paid work and the paid work is usually pays less. So I got to where I started touring a little more and I'd go out and, you know, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time in like the gambling cities and stuff. And um, and then when my kids were born, when my son was born, I just started having a really hard time with being away. And that's when I, I kind of came back off the road, 
was lucky enough to land a, a, a local radio job in that same period of time where I was on, on the air with uh, Spence over KVTA for um, a little bit over four years. And it was like a good, perfect time in my life to have that kind of a thing happen. So, and then I was able to still do a little bit of local comedy. That's why I came up with the whole um, Giggles Comedy Club thing. Um, now we go by the name, the Hanger, Hanger Comedy. But uh, it, it's one of those ways that I go out, I could still go do new stuff on stage i can still you know connect with the people that want to follow me but i also bring in a big headliner like a friend somebody that i picked up along the way in my comedy path mm -hmm. who's a really amazing comedian and i just bring him to santa paula or whatever small town we're doing the shows at right and you call it hangar comedy because you're at the santa paula airport at one of the hangars yeah yep we, we do our shows at the hangar bar and grill and so i think hangar comedy just kind of fits it just right because you're looking out and you're you're seeing airplanes if you look out the window you know while you're watching the show during the summer we do the shows outside so you're right there and the planes are right over your shoulders it's just a, a really cool place to do it so i enjoy it that's awesome and you started a podcast a giggles podcast yeah, I have a couple of podcasts under the Giggles banner, the Giggles Radio Network banner. Uh, uh, my favorite podcast that I work on is The Walkout. I do with my buddy Mark the Menace Young. He's an MMA fighter and a coach. And um, a lot of what the concept is, is we're, we're dads and we're trying to like balance everything. And The Walkout is when you're watching a fight, that's when the fighters got the music going on and they're just trying to make their way to the stage. You know, when you, when you go to a comedy show, you see the comedians, they say the comedian's name, they come out of the green room or whatever, and they make their way to the stage. So the walkout is basically about all the preparation that went into that moment. Cause not everybody can take that walk. Not everybody can make that walkout, but there's a lot in that moment because you've, everything you prepared for is just for that walk. And so um, we thought walkout was kind of a good good way to um, kind of just describe the whole process because mm -hmm. you know everybody everybody sees when the lights are on everybody sees the fights and everybody sees the comedians going up there but they don't see all the stuff that leads into it they don't see the you know hours of tireless writing or the the times you you try a, something out on stage and it bombs or they don't you know, they don't get to experience the family members that don't believe that you, you know, are, are, are a uh, normal, you know, giver to society just because you do something that's so off the wall to them, you know. Right. So the, you know, and trying to balance family and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like just a little insight into that is, is kind of the concept. Right. That's that's interesting. I never I never thought about that before. So you're you're walking out on the stage and it's kind of that that moment you've prepared for like a fighter right mm -hmm. and you're just you know living in the moment and you know how's the audience gonna receive this and you know you've done your your preparation and you know you're about to about to find out yeah it's like that only moment where you're you're just you know the preparation's done you just got to get to the stage and deliver so that 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 moment is kind of it's it's a it's a heavy moment right What's it like? I mean, you know, it's such the unknown, right? You don't know how the audience is going to respond. Like you mentioned, you had the five minute gig and you got three laughs in five minutes, which is unusual, right? And there, that must be the total high, right, of the job. And then the other extreme would be, oh my God, my material is bombing. 
you know, <laughs> I, I miscued this audience, right? What do I do to turn it around? Well, I think, uh, for one, I think that a lot of times you just have to accept the fact that, you know, less than 50% of any audience is really going to be your audience. That's why it's it's really hard to find your audience. I think that's when you see comedians that are able to pack out arenas and theaters, they figured out, they figured out how to reach their audience, you know, and that's their audience that's showing up to see them. But when you're out here and you're just kind of like doing shows and trying to get, you know, as much stage time as you can, you're, you know, I mean, I have, I, I think that I have an audience. I think there's some people that follow me, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, it's not big enough to sell an arena. I'm not on that anywhere near that level, obviously. Sure. But uh, I think anytime that you're dealing with that, where you're going in front of an audience that might not necessarily be yours, there's a risk of it not being great. And I think early on, I kind of just figured that uh, a show that doesn't go the way I want it to is probably just a mismatch more than anything. Right. I don't think it, I don't look at it as, um, oh, you know, my my skills as a comedian are declining or whatever, you know. I still feel like, for the most part, most shows go really well. I feel like most shows are, are pretty amazing. But every once in a while, you get one of those positions where a bunch of people are around their bosses and they don't, you know what I mean? They don't want to, they don't want to let loose. Right. Usually you can figure out why. If sure. you can't figure out why, then you're probably in the wrong business. <laughs> the, P the PC crowd has to you know behave in front of their employer oh yeah yeah the pc crowds are the worst that's the <laughs> <laughs> the people are going to comedy looking to nitpick looking for a reason to complain that's that's always a good one you walk out and somebody's already got their arms crossed before you even say anything yeah it's like wow you're really in a receptive stance <laughs> right it's interesting too i think you know comedy is a you know it's an industry right and laughing is such an important part of life and you know the world is in total turmoil and it's nice to have some escapism and you know it's still important to laugh even when you know the world is burning all around us i think you're right and i think that most comedians are able to convey that and they're able to say hey look everything's going on around us but let's just have some fun in the meantime you know right, right. um so you've got some events coming up at the hangar what do you have going on so we have one show a month at the hangar. Um, our next show coming up is uh, February 9th. That's going to be with a very talented Kira Sultanovich. Um, Kira was the voice of the photo booth on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she did the, and she improvised all that. You know, she'd mess with people as they came in. Uh, she still works with Jay on the show that he has now. She's kind of been, been working alongside Jay Leno for like this entire time but uh she was one of the comedians i've known her for over 20 years um we worked together at a club years and years ago when we were both openers and um she was just somebody that you'd see and you knew that she was going to be something special and she is and she works a lot and she's uh I'm, I'm excited to have her back to to santa paulo the last time we had her in santa paulo was during the pandemic and I don't know if you know, but during the pandemic, we decided we were just going to kind of keep doing shows and then, you know, ask for forgiveness if we were uh, got in trouble right? because everything was shut down and people needed to get out. So 
I kind of came up with a system where I was selling tables instead of uh, tickets. Uh -huh. So you can get a table. Let's say you have you, you know, you and your family are quarantined, but there's six of you. You're all in the same house. Well, I get you a pod where six people can sit and then you're 10 feet away from everybody else. You know, we had the way we had it where the, the entrance was the back of the restaurant so we could walk people through without having any contact with anybody. Right. And um, we, we had really big shows and people really appreciated it because there wasn't a lot going on and nobody was willing to take that risk. And uh, we even had like some law enforcement in uniform that came and attended the shows where you're like scared when they're walking up, going, oh, <laughs> shut us down. But, um, and, and, but Kira had not been on stage in over a year. And I remember she was really nervous and I go, we'll just go out and do a little bit. And if it's, if you feel like it's too much, then just you stop. I go, nobody's going to really expect everybody to come out of this, given their best show. They just want us to try, you know? Right. And then she got up there and I knew that she wasn't going to just go do a couple of minutes because I, she's an incredible talent, right? right? She got up there and she did an hour and afterwards she was like, I'm so glad I did this. She goes, I can't believe, you know, that I felt like I almost didn't have it or, or whatever, you know, she was, she's very grateful for the, for the being able to get on stage after being so long. Cause you, you kind of need that. That's one of the ways you work out your, stuff you know what i mean right right and that's, and that's awesome that she did that and super smart of you to you know sell tables yeah well that's the that was <laughs> i just wanted to i wanted to be able to put together shows and not give them anything to complain about you know because there was the people that were you know and i still got the I still got the comments. Oh, enjoy your super spreader. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I almost changed the comedy name to the super spreader, but I thought <laughs> it might bring too much attention to it. Right. But yeah, <laughs> you know, but we never, never had an issue. We kept, we only maybe went like four or five months without doing the shows. Um, like I said, we did them outside and never had a complaint, never had, oh my goodness so and so and so and so everybody got sick this week not once we did everything went well we even took temperatures for a little while of people coming in it, we did it kind of as a gag but then we realized hey this isn't so bad because people seem to be relieved of it so we're like okay right. we'll keep doing it right <laughs> smart real quick um is the uh are the hangar events the same day each month how i mean you said you do it monthly is it like the a certain Friday of the month or a certain Saturday of the month? Uh, we used to do the last Friday of the month, but then I started to realize that if I wanted the headliners that I wanted, I would kind of have to go with their schedule because I, I kind of got to where I was pigeon-toed into this one weekend available. And then I'm going, calling 15 people. Are you available that weekend? So what I did with uh, with Brian Kellen, who we had last month, is just an incredible comic. Okay, what what weekends do you have available? And he had happened to have a weekend available that worked really good with my schedule, so we did it. Had a great show. Same thing with Kara. Hey, what weekends do you have available? This was the only weekend she had available, so that's that's what we're going to do. And um, so I'm just kind of letting the headliner kind of dictate what when our when our shows are. Gotcha. So what what would the website be or the uh, or the email be that folks could reach out and find out more information? The website's giggleslive.com. You can find out all about the uh, the comedy shows there. It'll have um, the latest tickets, latest posters and all that stuff. And uh, if you want to email me, my email is 
gigglesliveSP at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, Tom McQueen, thank you so much. This has been wonderful and uh, informative and, and entertaining. And I'm, I'm sure our uh, audience will, will appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Go 49ers. Absolutely. That's right. Go Niners. Ha, ha, ha.